Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. It's really nice to know that uh, as I record this intro here by myself that I'm actually not talking to myself, I'm talking to you out there listening and I really hope this is providing some sort of value or entertainment. I'm bringing you the world's adaptifiers because I want to share their knowledge. This is episode number 29 and so far I've met some absolutely amazing people uh, and brought some incredible stories to the airwaves. Today is no exception. I have with me Teal Shearer, who is an American-born actress. She happens to be a wheelchair user. She was paralyzed following a car accident when she was 14 years of age. She's had an amazing life and a very successful career. I want to dive into her tips for being an actor from a wheelchair, her thoughts about uh, how society views wheelchair users and how that's changing and her role in that. So without further ado, welcome Teal. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, Teal, whereabouts are you right now? Where's home? Yeah, I live in Bellevue, Washington, which is just uh, across the bridge from Seattle. Okay. I actually think I've been to Bellevue. Um, and Oh, actually, uh, Bellingham, which is – is that mm. somewhere close by as well? Yes, that's north of us. Yes, a, not far. great taco joint because it's a university town, right? So they uh, – Man, they had some. It was a good feed. What I found when I, whenever I've traveled to the United States, is you you only really need to order one meal because, uh, oh yeah, or you know between two people because the portions are so big. And when I was uh, when I was traveling through the states, I was rock climbing and um, you know sort of living out of a van, and uh, you know it was great to find these these restaurants that had had big meals. Um, <laughs> I, I almost only have to eat one meal a day. But, yeah, uh, but anyway. So have you always lived there, Teal? What was your what was your life growing up like? Yeah, well, my dad was in the Navy, so we moved around a lot when I was very little. And then when he retired, we um, moved to um, a small town right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, called Lenore City. So basically from like fourth grade on uh, through high school, I lived there. And what were some of the things that you enjoyed as a as a youngster? What 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 really sort of um, got you going? I always remember. Let's see. Always had a lot of friends. So always loving friends came over to our house, or I'd be at friends' house. Did a lot of slumber parties. Was always active in sports, soccer, basketball, swim team in the summer. So you were pretty when, active. You know, you was yeah. active and social. Yeah, and my dad, when he retired from the Navy, he taught uh, he taught at a high school, uh, JROTC at a high school, and so he had the summers off, and we had a motorhome, and we'd go traveling in the summer, my sister and I, uh, with him, and then my mom was working, but she would meet up with us. So yeah, we traveled a lot, yeah, active, social, socially active. Sounds like a great a great childhood. Now, yes, for sure. Sort of in your in your teens, that you know something pretty dramatic happened. Uh, do, mm-hmm. do you mind sharing 
sharing that moment? Of course. So I had just started my freshman year of high school and it was Labor Day, which is actually coming up um, um, the beginning of September. Um, It was Labor Day. We didn't have school that day. Some friends from high school invited me to go see a fireworks show with them in Knoxville. And so uh, I was on the way to go see that fireworks show with these friends. And the guy driving the car was going too fast, driving our car that we were in. I was sitting behind him in the back seat. Uh, He was going too fast on a small, narrow back road, got airborne. We went off the road and hit a tree. And I broke my back at the L2 level and am paralyzed from the hips down. So how old were you then? 14, almost 15. So one minute you're... You know, you're, you're, I imagine you're probably pretty jovial and excited about the uh, the fireworks display and your life was cruising along this, yeah. you know, seemingly great path and then all of a sudden this happened. What what was going through your mind, uh, you know, what was going through your mind in those first couple of weeks after that? Yeah, so I was in the hospital for about a month. They, I had to have back surgery and then... I had a lap seatbelt on and that kind of pushed into my intestine. And so they had to repair my intestine. So I had a stomach surgery um, and then like a colostomy bag for a little while. And then when that healed, they went back in and closed everything up. Uh, So I think in the beginning, it was just I was kind of out of it on pain meds. And I mean, I knew, though, very, you know, from the beginning that I was paralyzed and I remember them coming in you know, maybe two or three times a day with little, like, almost like little pinpricks, like, do you feel this? Do you feel this? Can you move this? Move that? You know, they'd kind of do that throughout Mm. the day. And then when I was ready to be discharged from the hospital, I went uh, uh, to rehab at Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a great rehabilitation center. So I think they actually took me in the ambulance over to Shepherd Center in Atlanta, I think. So uh, then I started rehab and I started rehab at Shepherd Center. I was there for about a month and Shepherd was great because there were a lot of other people with spinal cord injuries there, people my age. They did a really good job at kind of showing me the adaptions I would have to make. And now that I was using a wheelchair, so everything from getting dressed to transferring to they even had a, I remember a kitchen. So I could practice, you know, just maneuvering around a kitchen or cooking. They had an indoor swimming pool. So I got to get in the pool. They had sports there. They had an art room. Uh, I think the the most impactful thing there was they had a girl come uh do peer support with me. She had been injured maybe a couple years before me and was just a couple years older than me. And she came and visited me one day and she was this like lovely girl in high school. She was a cheerleader. So she had cheerleaded before her injury. Like I, and I had, I was a cheerleader before my, before I got injured. And, but she, she was still cheerleading from her wheelchair. She had a boyfriend. She drove a convertible. She was getting ready to go to college <laughs> So I think when I saw that, I was like, oh, all that's still possible. 
So that was like huge for me to see somebody else that had was, you know, was going through the same thing and doing like these really cool things, like seemingly kind of living a normal existence. Like I was like, oh, she's doing all the things so I can do that too. So that was really huge for me. Teal, was anyone else injured in the crash? Yeah, two of the other people in the car car also broke their backs, but they did not suffer a spinal cord injury or so they were. So, you know, I think they both had to have maybe have back surgery or wear a back brace for a little while. Mm. Um, but I was the, the worst. What was the relationship with those people and particularly the driver like afterwards? Yeah. So I really, I had just met that driver that day, so I didn't really know him. Um, and then I was most friendly with the other guy in the car who was in the front seat passenger. Um, yeah. Afterwards, I actually, there was a girl in the car with me in the back seat next to me. We became really good friends after the accident. We weren't really that close before, but we became good friends after. And I'm still friends with her. And then my friend that was in the front seat passenger side, I didn't really talk to the I don't really stay in touch with the guy that was driving the car. Do you I hold any he, resentment towards him? Do you, do, no. Did you have any ill feeling at all? No, I've never had any ill feeling. I actually kind of just feel feel for him because, like, that must be awful to feel, you know, to to cause an to cause an accident like that, and then have somebody in the car be injured like I was. Um, I just kind of feel like because he didn't obviously mean for that to happen. And that would just suck, I think. Mm. So, and I feel for that, uh, you know, him, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I have a, I feel very lucky and I have a good life, great life. So I'm, I don't, you know, stuff, ha- you know, things happen. So it's really interesting. Cause I have the same attitude to the driver of the vehicle that hit me. Uh, mm. And one of my first instincts was, man, she's got to be feeling She's got to yeah. be feeling terrible and, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's really interesting. I don't, I don't think it actually helps you to, to hold, uh, no. hold blame for, for other people. And I always accepted some responsibility for uh, yeah. what happened. Um, you know, I made the decision to jump on that skateboard and, and head down the road. Um, mm. You know, even though the driver was on the, you know, had cut the center line and was on my side of the road, I was still a party to that, you know, I made that decision. And I think that, I think that really helped me just move past that mm-hmm. and, yep. and, and accept and move on. Um, yep. so I think that's, that's probably quite a good bit of advice there for, um, for people uh, facing a similar situation is just to, yeah. uh, you know, things happen, you know, and, and like you said, that the driver of the vehicle wouldn't have wanted to do that to you intentionally. And, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he it hasn't affected his life too much because you know, like one person's life's affected, but you don't actually want it to affect his life as well. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people uh, like you and I are quite optimistic, uh, and you know, you can look at the bright side of things. And and you had, as you said, you had that a uh, girl who's uh, provided a role model for you. But for people that aren't naturally optimistic. And you must mm-hmm. have seen this time and time again. What are some, what are some words of advice that you could offer them, and what seems to help them get through their darkest moments following, uh, you know, a traumatic incident like this? Yeah, I, I really, I think, 
hmm, felt, you know, I felt lucky in a lot of ways to be alive, to still have the function of my upper body. I knew that I still, I was going to be able to figure out how to be independent. Um, and so I focused on that rather than seeing, you know, focusing on, oh, I can't move my legs anymore. I can't do this. I was more like, okay, well, still alive. I still can do this. I'm going to figure out how to drive. I'm going to figure out how to do this. So that was my focus the whole time. Um, and some other advice would be to try to connect with other people in the community, even if it's just online. And that's one of the things I was injured in 1995. So we didn't really have, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have the internet. And I think that's one of the great tools right now for people who are injured or newly injured is you can go online and, um, you know, maybe through a Facebook group or, or connecting with other people on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or there's, forums you can talk to other people in your situation and see what they're doing and I think that really helps is to be a part of the community and if there is an active disability community wherever you live try to get involved with that are there peer support groups are there sports that you you know go try out basketball Mm -hmm. or rugby or tennis or whatever it is I think that is huge um yeah, there's something for everybody, eh? Uh, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can Google that now. Like now if you can just kind of – even if you just want to see a video, oh, I wonder how somebody transfers from the floor to their wheelchair. You can Google that and look at that. And I think about how cool that is, you know, just – or how does how does somebody get their wheelchair in the car? Let me Google that and watch a video. And mm-hmm. So you can, you know, maybe get different tips and see how people do things. Um, and it just makes you feel less alone. It's, you know, they're – there's like, you know, definitely obviously hard things about uh, having a spinal cord injury and just being able to see, you know, other people going through that and maybe be able to talk about that. And it helps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you often hear about people leaving the rehab uh, environment and then that's when the reality really hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was going back to school like for you? And, you know, you must have had some moments where, you know, you were, you were reflective on your situation and it, you know, how did you get through those moments? What, what helped you, helped you get through mm. that? And the other thing that I've, I've noticed is that having a, a disability is often really resource intensive and, you know, the, the more resources you have available to you, whether that be financial or support uh, or access, the, the easier your life will be. And in some countries, and I know the US of A is not, you know, I guess the healthcare system isn't, isn't super great in some respects. Um, mm-hmm. How do people, you know, if you say, oh, you know, go and, go and do wheelchair basketball, go and do this, go and do that. You know, if, if people don't have the money to afford the equipment for that, Mm-hmm. How do they? How do they get through that? Yeah, well, here in the United States, you, there's a lot of grants for that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of organizations that you can apply for um, different adaptive equipment and and stuff and such. If you have a financial need, you know, for that. Mm. So there is that, and I feel like a lot of the organizations even do have the equipment. 
I, like I'm an, on an adaptive rowing team here in Seattle and they have all the equipment there. I haven't had to buy anything. You know, I show up and there's an adaptive seat. They have the rowboats we row in or, or we go to the gym and they have the stuff. I mean, I do pay a, um, a fee to be a part of it, but I know one of our other rowers though applied for a grant that would pay for her rowing fee for the season. And she got that covered. It's great. So, so what you're saying is, if you if you look uh-huh. if you look hard enough, you'll find a way, and you'll find some organizations yeah. out there that can support you. Um, and I know one of our rowers did, and I've seen other adaptive athletes do this. You can do like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. You know, do a crowdfunding campaign mm. if you need to raise. Say you need to raise five thousand dollars or whatever. Like. Do it, you know, crowdfund that if you can, if you, you know, mm. tell a compelling story and, and show, yeah. show, show gratitude and, uh, yeah, and like, you're you know, giving people, people an opportunity, aren't you, to, to, to give someone else joy. I suppose it's one way of looking at it. Totally. And for a lot of people, it's like, what, you know, it may not be that, you know, everybody donates $25 or something, like it adds up. Mm. And you can have a, you know, a, uh, a bike or something, you know, a hand cycle. Yeah, it's great. Oh, well, I'm pleased to hear that. Um, so, yeah, getting back to the, the earlier question around yeah. leaving leaving rehab and uh, and, mm-hmm. and your school and, and navigating yeah. that, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a transition because you, you, you're at rehab and everything's kind of set up for you and accessible and, and then you get home. And my parents had, you know, done some things to the house. They put a ramp uh, into the front of the house and they uh, widened our the bathroom, um, the bathroom doors, and we t- they took out a closet in the bathroom so I could get in. It, so some things had been done, but it, yeah, it's an adjustment, just adjusting to, you know, all the like my bathroom. You know, the sink wasn't accessible. I couldn't roll under it, like little things like that. You just have to get used to it. And. And then, yeah, school, you know, I had wonderful friends who were super supportive, but at the same time, I was 15, you know, almost 15 years old. And it's just, it's just, you know, a time in your life where you're really worried about appearances and you're worried about fitting Mm -hmm. in. And so I think I did kind of carry some shame and embarrassment around being disabled, but I don't think I let anybody know about that. I kind of just like you know, kept on a happy face and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think school was good. I continued to make good, good grades, had friends. I was very funny about like, I didn't want to go to any of the football games or I didn't want to be a cheerleader anymore. Uh, so there were certain things where I was just like, no, I don't, I don't want to do, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. I was kind of, I think being a little self-conscious, yeah, uh, understandable. And then uh, I couldn't ride the school bus anymore to school because the school bus wasn't accessible. And so they had somebody from one of the special ed teachers come pick me up in the morning and drop me off at school. And I was so embarrassed by that because I was like, everybody's seeing <laughs> me being dropped off by the special ed teacher. And, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, like I look back on it. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Too. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> you know? But at the time, when you're 15, that's like a huge deal, you know. So for someone that was, a, you know, didn't want to go to the football game and be seen and, and was self-conscious of being 
dropped off at school, mm-hmm. <laughs> you took. I, it seems like you you launch straight into what would be incredibly fearful, even if you're not uh, a wheelchair user, and that's acting. How how did you how yeah. did that, how did that unfold for you? Yeah, well, I really didn't start acting until college. After I graduated from school um, in Tennessee, I went to college in Atlanta, Georgia, at Oglethorpe University, and I, it was great because Atlanta is a bigger city. They had um, a pretty active disability community there in Shepherd Center where I went to rehab was there. And they had a very active like sports and and other activities going on for people who, you know, weren't in rehab anymore. But like, you know, Mm. uh, and and I, I majored in communications. I originally wanted to go into broadcast journalism and I took a theater class as part of my major. And I just fell in love with it. I had a professor who was super encouraging and he cast me in my first play, playing a part that wasn't, you know, even wheelchair, it w- not even a wheelchair specific character. It was just a character. And then I just kind of got hooked and, uh, ended up majoring in theater as well. So I did a double major in communications and theater and, yeah, but got very active in the theater department at school. And then at the same time, I started dancing professionally with an integrated dance company in Atlanta. Uh, they're, they're called Full Radius Dance and uh, been around for, for a while, long time. And yeah, so it's dancers with and, out, with and without disabilities performing. We'd go to schools. We'd do main stage shows a couple times a year we might get hired by you know let's say a a gala to perform at an event and yeah and it was that was paid it was it was great that was probably my first time really being around other people with disabilities and then dancing and kind of relearning how to connect and move my body after my accident. So uh, one thing that springs to mind for me is mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, and I talk about flow, flow state quite a bit. It's something that drives me. Uh, and it's that, you know, the, those moments where you just lose all sense of time and space. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you find that when you're dancing and, and when you're acting, what, what what motivates you to do do this? What's the what's the key driver that drives you to do these things? Yeah, well, for me, I loved community. I found around theater and around in dance, mm. the creativity and dancing and acting. It is very much you have to become very intimate with yourself because that's your instrument and that's your tool. So you have to figure out how to move your body, how to express yourself, how to you know, your voice, your, so I think for me, it, it, it really made me like, just look at my body now and, and learn to use my body and move my body and made me feel connected to it. And then just finding the power in that, the power of, you know, being up on a stage and maybe, you know, making people, make people think about things a different way, telling a story, make, making people laugh, maybe making people think, um, that was really powerful to me, uh, to kind of take that control, have that control, um, on the stage, like saying, Hey, look at me, you know, let me, t- let me take you on this journey. Let me take you on this story. 
I like that. That's really interesting. I think it's, you know, twofold benefits really, isn't it? Like, like you say, you get to really know yourself. You get mm-hmm. to increase your confidence about yourself and, you know, and, and you also get to make an impact on, on the people around you and, and the audience and you can use it as a vehicle, can't you, to to tell your story and to to share yeah. things that you're you know that you're passionate and about. Totally, and you don't see people with disabilities that often in the media, and when you do, it's usually like a stereotypical view of disability. So, be to be able to help change that and to put out like authentic representations of disability is to me is is huge. Um, I know it would have helped me immensely if after my injury, I had seen people like me on TV um, or, in, you know, in movies or that would have been huge. Yeah. So what is the stereotypical view on disability these days? And, and what yeah. did you see disability as when you were, you know, before your accident, what did you think about uh, someone in a wheelchair? Yeah. I mean, if I, before my accident, I just would have thought like, oh, you know, that must suck that poor person or they sick or, you know, that's, I would probably have just like felt sorry for them and seen it as like a bad thing. Um, but, and I think that's kind of like how the media portrays it. You either see it as like you become disabled and then you have to overcome it. Like it's about, okay, I have to heal, either be healed or figure out how to walk again. Um, they're seen as like these inspirational figures that, you know, Mm. or, um, or in a lot of movies, the person who becomes disabled ends up killing themselves because the, because life is not worth living if you're disabled. Um, oftentimes Mm. in film, they're usually the villains because they're so off, you know, so miserable because of their disability. It's caused them to become a villain and hurt people. Wow. So I f- feel like in the past, it's usually like they're not, you know, they're they're like one-dimensional symbols. They're not even human. Like, it's not even a person. You're like, this isn't even like what it's mm. like, you know. Um, or lots of times if you see a character on TV with a disability, and ha- this, uh, you see a character on TV with a disability, the story like has to revolve around their disability. Like every line is about their disability. Every line from somebody else is about their disability, which is just so, you know, inauthentic in our day-to-day lives. Like when we go to the, you know, out to eat with our partner or whoever, like the whole night doesn't just revolve around us talking about the disability, Mm. you know, like, yeah, something may come up or your disability comes up, like maybe the restaurant's not accessible or whatever it is. But usually like, that's not what we talk about all the time. You know, so would you? Did you come across scripts that you just went, "Oh, there's no way I can play this character," or did you just have to suck um, it up and and play that character because you, you know, you're an aspiring actor? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have played like you know a lot of girl in the wheelchair, whatever they want somebody in a wheelchair for this. So I definitely have done that, and in some cases, it's good. Like it's gave, given me opportunities like gotten me in the door because they did want specifically want somebody with a disability. So. And so do you think the stereotypes are changing and and do you feel as though your, you know, your roles and your drive to take, uh, take on these roles is, is helping? Yeah, I do feel like there's more representation in the media and more authentic representation. It definitely is happening. Um, 
And yeah, and there's a, you know, a big number of us out there, actors with disabilities here in the United States who are, you know, plugging along and working and, and, and you're starting to see more writers with disabilities and directors with disabilities and out there as well. So I feel like it's a uh, promising time right now uh, for our community. I mean, we still have a long ways to go, but I think it's getting better. I mean, you, you are seeing more of a push for diversity. And I think our big thing was just being included, including it, wanting being included in diversity. Cause a lot of times like, here, I don't know how it is there, but when people talk about diversity, disability usually gets left out of that conversation. So it's really making people aware of like, when you're talking about diversity, you need to include people with disabilities as well. Mm, Um, I I sort of figure that uh, one in five people in the United States have some form of disability. So it's a massive Yeah, it's one in four. Yeah, it's one in four. One in four. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Uh, so, you know, if you're creating content for, uh, for an audience and, and one in four have, you know, can relate to some form of disability, if you're not including them, then, you know, you're missing a trick there, I think. Oh, totally. Definitely. And I really like the point you made before around, you know, you, you don't go out with your partner or whatever and you just, you don't just talk about your disability, you know, <laughs> like yeah. just because you're, you're playing a role as somebody with a disability doesn't mean that it has to focus on that. And, um, and in some ways I think it's, it's even more powerful uh, if, yeah. if you don't, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just life. It's just, it's, you know, and yeah. that's, and that's what we want to, that's what we want to put across. Right. Totally. So uh, tell us about your, um, you know, the, the acting role that you're most proud of. Yeah, so I'm most proud of creating my online comedy series, My Gimpy Life, which is loosely based on my own life and awkward situations I've encountered, specifically living in Hollywood, pursuing an acting career. Um, so we have nine episodes of that on YouTube and yeah, I'm most proud of that because I created it and, and put it out there and how was it received? Great. Yeah. Really good. The disability community really responded to it and a community was kind of created around the show because it allowed, you know, I think people with disabilities, connected to it, obviously, and then would online be like, oh, that happened to me too. Oh, you know, my, you know, there's a, in the opening scene of episode one, I I go somewhere in my car and then I'm putting my wheelchair back together to get out of my car. And I turn for a second and then look back and my wheelchair is like rolling, rolled down the hill. Um, <laughs> so it was just fun, like stuff like that, which has really happened to me. To, you know, you kind of put it out there and then all these, you know, all other people with disabilities are like, oh, that's happened to me too. Or that's happened to me too. So everybody kind of started sharing their own stories. Mm. And it was really great because we don't talk about it and we don't see it. So to be able to, you know, to see it and talk about it and then I've also gotten feedback from people who are newly injured who said the show really helped them, like after their injury, to um, you know feel more comfortable and to realize that what was possible. Uh, so that was really like 
amazing to kind of like hear that. And then I think people that don't have disabilities, it just kind of opened their eyes to a different, you know, a different world and maybe made them think about things differently. Um, and you can use humor too, right? I mean, that, that's definitely happened to me before. And yeah, you know, what can you do? I mean, you can, you know, you, you may uh, utter a few um, terse words to begin with, but then then you just go, oh, well, uh-oh, yeah. what, what do I do now? Um, yeah. You can make, you totally. can make humor out of it. I, you know, I remember in the, even in the hospital, I used humor um, mm-hmm. a yep. lot. You know, I had there's some hilarious photos of a, a nurse that, you know, was donning a rubber glove and, and me with this kind of terrified look on my face yeah. as he yeah. was about to, uh, you know, take care of some business. And, um, totally. You know, I posted that on my blog early on, and it was just—I think it made it made um, the situation more approachable for for more people, rather than it being uh, yes. rather than it being all doom and gloom. If you add a bit of lightheartedness to it, um, then it's more approachable. I think um, for sure. And yeah, and I mean, you know, it's like having a nervous laugh. It was a bit like that. It was a bit of a nervous um, nervous humor, but it was still. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it helps you get through it. I mean, it's it just it does. I the same thing with me too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, so you did end up um, in Hollywood, and and yeah. looking at your bio, you've you've had lots and lots of roles doing all sorts of things. Can you can you share? Um, can you share? A, you know, one of those roles that you were really surprised you got, and, and you know, how do you how do you get these roles? What's the what's the grind like? Yeah. Well. So, for example, after when I was in college, I I sent out pictures and uh, resume and like a little cover letter to agent agencies. So I got an agent, and the first film I booked was an HBO film called Warm Springs, a Hollywood film, but it was shooting in in Atlanta. So they cast me um, as a local hire in Atlanta. And that was my first acting job. And that was like amazing because I was, you know, working on this Hollywood film and Kenneth Branagh was in it and Cynthia Nixon and Kathy Bates. And um, so getting to work with them and through that film, I got my SAG after card, which is your union card, which you really need if you're going to move to LA Mm. um, or New York, you really need to be in the union. So I was able to get that by getting cast in that film. And so that really gave me the um, kind of encouragement and to move to LA after doing that film. And so I did, I made the move to LA. Then once again, sent out lots of resumes and headshots to agencies all over LA, got a couple meetings, got an agent, and then your agent, you know, will start sending you out on auditions. And so you just then... It's just audition, and most of the time you don't ever hear anything back, uh, but then sometimes you do. Mm. So, yeah. It doesn't sound easy. No, it's not. It's a lot of rejection, and you feel like you're, you know, waiting, waiting for your agent to call, waiting to hear if you got the part. So I then started to try to do my own thing and I started producing theater um, with some friends of mine who also had disabilities. So we started producing theater that, uh, you know, included actors with disabilities behind the scenes and then on, you know, in front of the, on the stage. And then, and 
you know, and I'd get involved in my friends' short films that they were doing and whatnot. And and then another role I did, which is probably one of my favorite favorite characters I've played. My friend uh, Felicia Day has a, a really popular web series called The Guild, and she uh, created a part for me in season three, and then I'm in some of season four called Venom. And she was a really fun character to play because she's goth and very feisty and kind of evil and uses her disability to, to her advantage to get away with things. Uh, <laughs> so that was fun. That was probably like, yeah, I would love to play her all the time. <laughs> would you like to, would you like to be, uh, you know, so when you're in character, it's, do you take away some of those things from these characters and, and implement oh, yeah. them in your everyday life? Do you, do you <laughs> how do you snap out of out of character and, and, and then yeah, go back that's into what character? Was fun about playing her is because she would say things and do things that, you know, like I would think maybe think of, but I would never do that in my real life. So um, <laughs> so yeah, she was very fun to play. And and then being in that web series is what then inspired me to want to create. Mike and be life. So um, presumably you had to get a camera, camera, camera guy or girl and, and um, mm-hmm. someone to maybe direct and all that sort of stuff. So did you yeah, get to pull all that together? You have to pull it all together. I mean, and, and, you know, I met a lot of the people working on the guild and so I brought in a lot of those same people. Um, but yeah, it's like as the producer and as it's my sh- show you do you have to bring all the people together get things organized you're the you're the one pushing the project and making it happen so it definitely is a lot um so is there funding for projects like this are there grants and things that you can tap into so yeah i I believe they're grants i I, i've never gotten a grant we um we did a kickstarter campaign for our second season and then our first season we just had an uh an angel donor who gave us the money who believed in the project wow um awesome but but yeah i mean there's different ways to go about it yeah with uh with the ease of producing content these days you know uh i mean you look at the disruption that's happening in in hollywood with netflix and things like that you know the the business model if you like the revenue model is um it's not an easy one to it's not an easy one to tackle. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it's good that you're able to to find a community of people that would uh, would support such a positive uh, show. And, yeah. Um, and it has lasting benefits, right? Which is fantastic. Yeah, it's actually used a lot now in curriculums in colleges all over the world. So, like in disability studies classes and. Whatnot. So that's kind of cool. I never thought it would become like an educational thing. So now that's kind of like. It's great. Yeah. So Till, you're also, you're, I mean, you're a mother. What would, mm-hmm. um, and you know, one of my previous guests, Alana, uh, Jane Nichols, she's just had a baby. I don't know if you oh, know wow. Elena, but uh-huh. uh, you know, would you, would you share that experience as a, as a wheelchair user, as a paraplegic yeah. that, that, that had a baby? What, what are some, what are some things that other um, aspiring mums or mums to be out there who use wheelchairs are, you know, what can you share? Yeah. So before I got pregnant, I did a lot of research. I would talk to other moms in wheelchairs that had had kids and, you know, ask them about their experience. 
think I found a couple blogs online from people in chairs who kind of shared their experiences. And then I met with a high risk maternal fetal medicine doctor, which, um, yeah, so I met with that doctor. So I had a, a appointment with him and we went over my whole medical history and all the medications I was on and kind of came up with a game plan. Like if I, if I want to get pregnant, I'm going to probably need to get off of like my osteoporosis medicine that I was on because it may interfere with like the medicine could transfer over into my baby. So stuff like that. Like I had to get off that medication for a while, which was fine. Like I met with my osteoporosis doctor and they're like, okay, it's fine if you get off it for a little while, it's not going to hurt you. Mm. So, so things like that. And we decided that because I, I, I had had, um, a blood clot in my left leg after my accident that I should probably get on a low dose blood thinner just cause you're at higher risk for blood clots when you're pregnant. So mm. we got on a low risk blood thinner just to like prevent that from happening. And I think those were the two big things. And then besides that, I think they just kind of kept an, a closer eye on me. Um, you know, maybe I, my appointments I had maybe some more appointments, but my pregnancy was pretty, was pretty smooth. I mean, I, like anybody else had the first trimester was, I had a lot of nausea. And then at the end, of course, it's very uncomfortable, but it was, yeah. Just it a was, regular old pregnancy by the sound of It was of like things. a regular old pregnancy. Yeah. I can't really complain. I would say the thing that I did though, is the research beforehand and meeting with the, the doctor beforehand and we kind of got all my doctors on board, like my urologist, my back doctor, my osteoporosis doctor, like everybody knew that I was going to try to get pregnant and everybody was on that same page. Um, and that made me feel good having all those doctors behind me and know that like I was doing it the right way, like taking the right steps. And we were being, you know, we, I was on the, uh, the blood thinner, which we were just taking the right precautions. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Interesting thoughts about the medications you're taking and and yes, be, being yes. aware of the effect that might have. Uh, um, you totally. know, some people get pregnant without knowing they're going to get pregnant, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, being aware of that, it's really interesting. Tell the other thing that you're involved in is New Mobility Magazine. Can you mm -hmm. share a little bit about your role there? Yeah. So New Mobility is a great magazine that's geared towards active wheelchair users. It's pretty much run by active wheelchair users. And um, most of the people that write articles in the magazine are chair users. So it's just like so many great articles, wonderful resources. And so I knew about the magazine for a while. And after I was in the movie Warm Springs, I pitched them. I contacted the edit editor and said, you know, I'd like to write about being in this film, Warm Springs. And Warm Springs, uh, the, the HBO film, the first film I was in, um, is about FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of our presidents who had polio and was a wheelchair user. But he kind of he kept it hidden from the public. Because he didn't want the public to see him using a wheelchair. So he'd always wear like long leg braces and, you know, his sons would help, you know, he'd put his arm around his son to walk to the podium for his speeches. Or if he had a dinner party, he would transfer from his wheelchair into a seat before mm. anybody else got there. And then after everybody left, he'd get back in his wheelchair. So he kept it hidden. It's totally fascinating. So anyway, he found this, this, uh, 
these warm springs in Georgia and it's like this warm water, which was really helpful in his therapy. And so they opened this rehab center in Warm Springs, Georgia called Warm Springs. Huh. Um, and so this movie's about that. And um, so what was I talking about? Uh, <laughs> what was my question? I just got lost. <laughs> you were in the moment. You just got, you, you, you're in, yeah. you were sitting in a warm spring somewhere. And I was too, actually. I was thinking, oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> Um, I forgot what I was even talking about. New Mobility Magazine, you pitched them the idea. Oh, yes. I pitched pitched them that story. And then, yes, so I wrote that article. That was the first article I ever had published. And and then throughout the years, they wrote about me on different occasions. So they did several stories on me. And then just recently, I have started writing for them again and write more regularly. And I now have a media entertainment column that I write and I've just been loving it. It's just a great addition to acting because acting can sometimes be, you know, you have very, I'll have periods where I'm not working as much. So it's great to have the writing and it's it's flexible. I can do it. You know, you can write from anywhere and, you know, on my, my son's at school and it's, you know, it's great. I get to write about entertainment and media, which I love and be creative and talk to other people in the community. Um, so I've really enjoyed just getting to interview people. It's kind of like what you're doing with this. It gives you this like reason to talk to other people in your community, which is, which has been great. So I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. A lot. Fantastic. And in the future, what, what plans, uh, if any, do you have, uh, for uh, for your family and for yourself? Yeah, well, I'm about to head to Vancouver, Canada. I'm going to be doing a play there. I'll be there six weeks. We have rehearsals, and then we have, like, a month of performances. And the play is a beautiful play called Cost of Living. It won the Pulitzer Prize last year. Uh, so I feel so lucky and grateful to get to go do it. And then after we do the play in Vancouver, we're going to take – the play to Edmonton, Canada in January and do it there for four weeks. Wow. Awesome. So yeah, I'm like really excited. It's going to be crazy because I'm going to be away from home for that long. Um, and it's going to be a lot, you know, are you taking your family with you or are they going to, no, it's just, it's, you know, it's too much to like uproot everybody. Cause I'm going to be working. I think the only day I only have Mondays off. So you know, my son will stay here in preschool and my husband works. So they'll come visit me when they can. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So. So hopefully you'll, you'll share that on your, your Instagram oh. account. It'd be great to, great to see that as it unfolds. Oh, of course. Of course. And so where can people find out more about you, Teal? Yeah. Well, I have a website, tealshare.com. And I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Where are you most active? I would say follow me on Instagram. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We will. I'll make sure I uh, link to those in, in the story that we'll write and uh, so that people can follow along. And, and I'm going to watch your uh, web series of uh, uh, My Gimpy Life. I think that's um, – that's going to be yeah. I think you'll like it. It's really funny and like it's awkward, funny humor. And I think you'll probably relate to probably most all of it. So 
um, I look forward yeah, to it. It's gonna be it. it's gonna be cool. I'll binge yeah. watch it. That's what you do these days, isn't it? You binge yes, watch binge it. Yeah, the episodes are <laughs> short. They're all like under ten minutes each, so you can get through it. Yeah, pretty quickly. Oh, fantastic. Hey, it's been lovely to chat with you and I wish you all the best in Vancouver and Edmonton. Uh, sounds like a fantastic opportunity and I'll um, I'll be sure to keep a close eye on um, on what's happening in, in your world and in the years to come. Oh, thank you. I'm not sure if uh, you'll make it to New Zealand for a show. Um, there are some people down here that are uh, they're involved in, in acting and dancing. Uh, Rodney Bell is probably the most well-known um, dancer, uh, performer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, he he used to live in Hollywood. Actually, he has a, quite a powerful story about he you know used to be essentially homeless while he was uh, pursuing his career over there before he got his uh, before he got his break. Um, you know, it's a it's a tough road, but if you're passionate about it and you're determined to uh, follow your passion and and make an impact, then you know persistent yeah. will pay off and it, and it did for him and it sounds very much like it has for you also um so yeah thanks so much for joining me today really appreciate it of course thank you for having me thanks teal that was great i really enjoyed getting to know you and your story a bit better that was fantastic i hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's adaptifier to learn more about adaptify and the products we have in development products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.